Hello and welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast, a show where we bring you insights from media industry experts to help journalists do their jobs better. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. This week saw the release of the annual Reuters Digital News Report. On today's episode, we dive into one of the revealing chapters on how news audiences participate or don't participate with the news. We're going to speak to Kirsten Eddy, who is a postdoctoral research fellow at the Reuters Institute, about three groups of audiences who interact with the news differently. Some like to comment, some prefer to share, and some won't participate at all. And we're going to dive into why, what's driving these trends, and how newsrooms need to think about each group differently. There are no silver bullets to the issues the news industry is facing, and this one is no different. All of that's coming up, so don't go anywhere. Kirsten, welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. Thank you ever so much for jumping on the show. Thank you for having me. It's obviously a big week for you at the Reuters Institute with the launch of the uh, Digital News Report, something that underpins so much of our coverage and, and that you know so many people look to to understand their own uh, newsroom strategy, their own digital strategy. But I'd like to start with a little known fact about you, which is that um, you're pretty successful in your early years at Spelling Bees um, in the US. Uh, would you tell us a little bit more about that backstory? Yes, of course. I, I feel like this probably underpins my love for words and writing. Um, I, for many years as a child, participated in a series of Spelling Bees, uh, so it's sort of large-scale spelling competitions among other students. Uh, and kind of made my way up to the state level at several points in time in uh, in my early years. Do you do you remember any of like the hardest words that you had to spell? Is there any that have stuck out in your mind? You know, that is a good question. I feel like if you asked my parents, they would probably remember every single word that I uh, got wrong, <laughs> or probably the ones I got right. Um, I think uh, I remember as as a child in maybe the third or fourth grade, I think one word I got out on was buoyed. Buoyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I I didn't know the, the correct order of the U's and O's. <laughs> buoyed. In what context is that? I think it's like to sort of lift up, um, sort of like a, you know, a buoy is sort of the, the item that kind of sits on water and, and oh. kind of keeps you afloat. It's to kind of yeah raise you up and keep you afloat. <laughs> right. That might be um, a pronunciation difference because obviously I know that as buoyancy and maybe it's a boy, perhaps something like that. So exactly. You, a lot of O's and U's in there and, and some sort of uh, confusion. Um, exactly. Your proudest achievement from doing your spelling bees, what, what would it be? I, I placed uh, in the top 10 in our state uh, at one point in time. And I think uh, as you know, a young person, especially a young girl who, uh, you know, probably at that point in time only cared about, uh, you know, making friends and uh, getting good grades and doing well and everything. I feel like it was it was definitely a, a first step for kind of confidence for me. Awesome. Well, from participating in Spelling Bees, we're going to talk about participation of audiences uh, with uh, online news. See, I, f- <laughs> I, I told you I'd find my segue. Um, well done. <laughs> so you, you wrote a, a fascinating chapter in the Digital News Report about how audiences do or do not engage with online news, their levels of participation, you know, why that is, what's underpinning that. And we're going to dig into that a little bit today. I suppose we break that into kind of three main definitions of active news consumers, reactive news consumers, and passive news consumers. So let's start with the first one, active news consumers. 
How do you define those? Yeah, these are these are segmentations that we have developed over the course of, of really over a decade of tracking some of these questions around sharing and participation. When we talk about active participators specifically, we're referring to people who say that they engage with online news actively by posting or commenting uh, about news. Uh, we ask about a series of different behaviors, and, and that's how we kind of map out each of these conceptions. Right. So as I understand it, it's um, the smallest of our cohorts. It's also the shrinking one. So it's down 11 percentage points over the last five years, bringing it to 22%. About one in five people are um, posting and commenting on the news. Why is that? How do you explain that trend? I think it's a series of things. I mean, I think one of the important things to think about when it comes to, to active participation is that this is the this is the group of people that make up a large swath of what the public sees as participation with news. This is what you see when you scroll on a news feed in your social feed and you see what people are responding to when it comes to news posts. So I, I think in general, we do see trends away from any form of participation, not just the ones who are actively posting and commenting. But I think one particular thing about this group that makes it unique and, and maybe where we continue to see the decreases is that we, we do see a tendency with this group to be centered around kind of a, a quite unrepresentative group uh, demographically of predominantly men, higher educated uh, respondents, more politically partisan respondents in, in some contexts, and those who are most interested in news. Um, and so I think that this kind of combination of a very um, unrepresentative but vocal minority that are actively engaging may push out those who kind of feel toward the center who are already a little bit wary of participating. Um, and I think the second piece is, is just this changing digital environment that we're a part of. The changing platforms people are using tend to, uh, in some cases, maybe push people away from more open forms of participation, more active forms of participation and toward these more private spaces. Got it. Very interesting. So the fact that it's a, a smaller but also louder kind of cohort, but it's it's shrinking, is that necessarily a bad thing or or how do you kind of make sense of that? Yeah, I think it depends on, on maybe how you look at it. I, I think if we think about it in the sense that we consider, you know, participation in, in public discourse to be a central and sort of organizing factor of what civic engagement means in societies nowadays, when we look at it from that perspective, we could argue that this is a bad thing. We see fewer people that are participating online and offline. Um, and I think one kind of element of the the online factor that matters is that, you know, we really did see the rise of social media as, as sort of this opportunity for creating a, a global collective sort of open uh, forum for engagement among groups and voices that previously didn't have the chance to. So the fact that we're not seeing that um, certainly matters. And, and I think largely you would perceive that negatively. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I mean, I think you could argue that this is sort of a neutral fact and that it may not be that it is, um, you know, preferred for every single person to be super actively involved in, in every, you know, news story and form of form of journalistic work. So I think you can kind of see it in, a, in several ways. For sure. So it's it's one in 10 people who are commenting really on uh, websites. It's it's one in four that are um, are reading those comments. So more people are reading them than actually commenting on them. Does that compound the, the lack of representation? Perhaps. I mean, I, I do think, you know, certainly I think we see a lot of public discourse that, that kind of 
discusses this idea of online forums, like our online comments, whether that is in social media, on news sites, mm -hmm. um, as being particularly toxic spaces. It's unclear, you know, from the work that we're doing exactly whether that is true, but I think that we do know that there are very um, sort of unequal experiences online and that there are spaces that are quite divisive and toxic. Um, and so I think that it could be that that seeing more people who are actively reading content and comments uh, and refusing to actively engage with it may suggest, um, you know, that, that that may actually be what is turning some people away. But it's hard, it's hard to say. Interesting. I suppose one other thing I really read through this is that if you as a newsroom really want to get a sense of your audience, be that some feedback or, or what they think of your content, you, you can't just look at the comment section because they're not all there. You kind of have to look elsewhere. Is that is that a fair kind of interpretation, Kirsten? I certainly think so. I mean, I think I think that in general, I think we are tending to see actually newsrooms even sort of turning away from even having spaces like online comment sections. So I do think that, that it's clear that there is a broader tendency for news organizations to be moving away from these particular forms of engagement when it comes to audiences, largely because often when we hear news organizations that, that move away from this, it's because they, they don't have the ability to manually moderate content mm -hmm. and fear that it becomes sort of a toxic space. So I think that that kind of underpins um, a large segment of that. But I also think that that news organizations broadly are focusing on a series of metrics, um, you know, to determine what engagement with their content looks like that is still kind of focused around these sorts of issues. They're still looking at things like comments as a priority for, uh, you know, sort of the top tier level of engagement. They're still looking at things like likes, likes and reactions. So I think that that regardless of the fact that we might see some trends toward moving away, it's still a central element of what kind of success might look like when it comes to posting content online. Super interesting. And one key difference I noticed between the UK and the US is that you have a lot more uh, active news consumers. Uh, in, in the UK, it's 10%. In the US, it's 25 How do you explain mm -hmm. that? What, what, how are you in the US managing to get more people um, commenting and posting on news stories? That's an excellent question. And and to be honest, I don't know if I really have an answer for that. I mean, I think that there there might be several factors. It could be that that there are cases where more politically polarized environments might lead to higher forms of, of engagement and participation, particularly given the fact that we see that political partisans, for instance, are more likely to be active participators. It could be that these environments just tend toward higher levels of active engagement because those groups of people uh, have very strong opinions. They are, you know, in in some kind of higher level of disagreement, um, you know. But that's entirely yep. speculation on my on my part. It it makes for good discussion because, as you've said, uh, active consumers are more likely to be men um, and and sort of politically interested. We've been living through very politically charged times, and maybe that encourages more people of those, you know, more represented um, cohorts to to come forward and and express themselves actively. Uh, and participate more actively with the news. Yeah, I, I would think so. It could also be too the the sort of just the media environment. I mean, I, I do think that we see different platforms being more prominently used in in some markets than others, um, and we do see a tendency. I mean, I think one example of this is that we see uh, in markets like the U.S. Uh, slightly higher trends toward maybe some of the more open um, forms of communication, whereas in many markets in Europe, for instance, we see trends towards things like WhatsApp and private messaging applications that just haven't seemed to make their way to a market like the US yet. 
Let's sum that up then. Active news participants appear to be the dominant news user because they are commenting and posting on news websites and social media. But in fact, this is the smallest of our audience groups here and also the least representative. This vocal and loyal minority is also shrinking, likely because some news websites have removed commenting tools or because the environment for commenting on social media has become more toxic. This, however, is not necessarily the most important metric to measure participation. Next, we turn to our second group, the reactive news consumers. These are people who are reading the comments, liking and sharing news articles. Uh, and so that kind of makes up that segment of, of people who are, are doing some form of participation, but it might not be the kind that others would always actively see and that don't require um, sort of that extra effort or interpretation. Right. A little bit more arm's length, a little bit more on the fence. Exactly. Lurkers, you might say, somewhere <laughs> in the background. It's very true, especially the readers. It's very true. It's actually the largest growing cohort, not by much, but at 6% growth uh, over the last five years, bringing it to 31. It's not the largest group, but it is the the, the highest uh, in growth. Any thoughts on why that is? I, I think there are two pieces to this. The first is is that... I think reactive participation, as you said, I think the example of lurkers is perfect. Reactive participation offers a means for users who are interested in news and, and want to find ways to kind of share their feelings about it, to do so in a way that um, requires less effort as well as less sort of public intention um, or, or sort of recognition. I think the second piece is just that, uh, as as we've talked about, there are these sorts of changes in in the platforms that news users are using, uh, and the spaces that they're engaging with news. And I think some of those offer more means for that sort of more private, more reactive, less open uh, sort of form of engagement that I imagine is probably appealing to some, particularly in places where they might feel less uh, safe or more cautious about expressing themselves online. Yeah. And, and and that part is really, really important, which we will come on to. But I think you, you hit the nail on the head there with how platforms are enabling, particularly sharing, uh, to be a lot more of something they can just do in the moment and then move on. Just on a very general level about anything you see on maybe your Instagram screen, you can just send that directly to someone's you know um, direct messages. You can send that directly to someone's instant messenger. You can send that across to WhatsApp or wherever. Um, and that is actually one of the things in growth here, up 5% um, when you think about sharing directly to instant messaging. And that feels to me quite significant. Would you would you agree, Kirsten? I completely agree. And I think one thing that's so notable about this is that it's really the only form of, of not just sharing, but participation in general that we continue to see a strong upward trend for. And I, I think that there is there is something important there in terms of of this idea of, of sort of closed sharing, or at least a particular form of closed sharing, uh, being really uh, seemingly interesting to people and something that they're they're increasingly turning toward. Yeah, I just don't think there's any distinction between news and general content here. I think it's just become the norm on social platforms to just share things with everyone else. And I think if if news content kind of uh, plays to those rules, that's what's going to encourage people to participate more in this more reactive uh, manner. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think one of the things that kind of speaks to that is the fact that we actually don't see these same trends when it comes to sharing via email, which is also, you know, a closed form of, of sort of private sharing. Uh, and I think that that 
that in general kind of speaks to the fact that it's not just about the fact that this is not, this is sort of closed or private sharing. It's the fact that that these are the platforms that people are engaging on and that this sort of fits within, as you said, the sort of general sets of behaviors that they they use for other things as well. Yeah, it's, it's completely the habit of the social platforms themselves. They are built to be shared on other networks within themselves, within these kind of spaces. Um, yeah. Conversely, sharing via the platforms themselves, actually uploading to the platforms, is down 7%. And I wonder what's kind of driving that. Yeah, I, I think that, again, uh, this may speak to this this kind of concept of of public discourse around, you know, public online engagement as being quite toxic or negative. I, I think that there is clearly a sense that, you know, whether whether true or not, though, I think in many cases, we do know that for, for many uh, people face, you know, much more difficult and, and much uh, less positive online experiences. I, I think that there is a tendency in this case to then refrain from what is generally referred to as sort of open sharing. Um, I, I think when we think about what sharing looks like on, on social networks, separately from things like messaging applications, largely this is on networks like Facebook, perhaps Instagram, where where commenting is very public, very present. So in real terms, that's like posting a link onto your um, on, on a post, maybe like your two cents on what that is, some analysis, some hot take or what you think about it. You're giving your 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 own opinion, your own sense of feeling to that post. And you are the one initiating that completely broadcasted out to, you know, your network, your newsfeed. Exactly. That's exactly it. And I do think this kind of speaks to some of the broader trends that we we see in our work this year and, and really throughout the past several years, where we do kind of see also changing priorities around what platforms are being used in general, as well as for news specifically. I think we continue to see the decline of, of networks like Facebook, networks that we might call legacy social media. Mm. And so I do think that that might play into it as well, is, is some of these networks that sort of... Um, allow for and create opportunities for open participation and engagement are pulling away from news. Users are also pulling away from those platforms. And so we see that all kind of merge together into this trend away from that form of participation. There's a great stat in here as well. 54% of people are wary about what they post online um, around political conversations. And I think mm -hmm. that just speaks to the trepidation of putting your thoughts and feelings out to the world now it's become a, a toxic landscape for many it, it makes it puts kind of a, a ring target on your back a little bit for trolls for hurtful comments harassment anything like that yes and I, I did think one of the things that that was really interesting to us as we were diving into this data is that we we asked you know kind of two sets of questions this year the first is asking about how people feel about their experience engaging with news online whether they feel positively or negatively about it and the second half being this question of do they feel they need to be careful about what they say, especially when it comes to politics, both online and offline. And I think one of the, the kind of tensions between these two is that we generally see people are actually quite ambivalent, if not positive, about their online news experiences generally. I think probably more so than maybe some of the public discourse would, would suggest around sort of this environment being incredibly negative, incredibly toxic. At the same time, we see majorities across our 46 markets really feel that they must be wary about what they say online. And so I think that even when people might feel um, you know, like they aren't necessarily having terribly negative experiences online, they still feel like they have to kind of constrain what they say and are, and are concerned about, about what they say online.
Mm. But they're, they're clearly more willing to react offline, though. And so maybe taking that relationship offline is is the um, the implication from this research. Yeah, it's true. I, I think to some extent it also varies. You know, I mean, I think we see in some polarized markets uh, or slightly more polarized markets, like, for instance, the United States or uh, Australia or Brazil, we do see that that kind of wariness really extends to offline debate as well, where, where they actually say that, uh, you know, around a quarter or less of respondents in these markets actually feel comfortable expressing their opinions offline. So we do see that in some cases, really, this extends outside of simply digital discourse. Um, and it may kind of pervade all forms of public debate. But, you know, it's not consistent. We do see, you know, in markets, particularly, you know, for instance, in Northern Europe, uh, where people feel far more comfortable offline and clearly um, are more inclined to have more open conversation in offline spaces. Mm. But I, I suppose the last thing to say on on this reactive form of participation is it's it's quite um, similar across markets. Like in the in the UK, it's twenty two percent. In the US, it's twenty four. It's, it's it's a pretty general broad feeling. Is is what I sense. I think so. I think uh, generally when we look at the major differences uh, across markets when it comes to these different segmentation groups, the largest difference that we often see is in that sort of difference between the active participator and the passive consumer who's not participating. And it does seem like that middle group remains much more consistent. Reactive news consumers are lurkers. They have an arm's length relationship with the news, but that doesn't mean their participation equals vanity metrics. It's the group with the most growth because platforms are emphasizing shareability more and more with the features on display and the algorithms it uses. Now we finish with our final group, passive news consumers. These people are the silent group. They do read the news without interacting with it. They might still be consuming news, um, and generally often are, but uh, they are very disconnected from any form of, of sort of engagement with, with news organizations or uh, platforms connected to news organizations. How similar is this to the phenomenon that we're seeing around news avoidance? I think it's, it's certainly an important tie. I mean, I think that generally speaking, these are two kind of different trends. I think that the passive consumers are still consuming. When we look at questions of avoidance, I think we see kind of two groups, at least that we distinguish between in this in this year's digital news report. The first being uh, those who are uh, actively sort of disengaging with entire sources of information or really just turning away from news entirely at different moments in time. And the second group that are turning away just from particular forms of news that might upset them or overwhelm them um, or that they find you know, particularly difficult or depressing. Um, and so I think that that they they are distinct in that in that each of them sort of represents different means of turning away from news in different ways. But I think to your point, they are all connected, and I do imagine that there is probably a connection between those who are selectively avoiding uh, and those who are choosing not to participate. Yeah. One of the things I find most interesting about this is the link between the perception of news and the participation in, in the sense that um, I think the data shows people with positive perceptions of the news are nearly twice as likely to participate. Those who perceive it negatively are four times as likely not to participate. And so the two are just, you know, you, when people have made their mind up, that translates into their agency into what they do with the news. It's so true. I, I think that this is one of the sort of critical findings that we have, because I think it speaks to the fact that whether people feel that they have uh, 
positive experiences, whether they feel that they're part of a, a sort of healthy digital space, clearly seems to have an important relationship. We don't quite know which way it goes, you know, whether whether it's because people feel that they have positive environments that they then participate or because they're participating, they feel that their environment is positive or healthy. Um, but I do think either way, it does speak to this clear need both for publishers as well as for platform companies that are both trying to create positive audience or user experiences to really foster uh, and promote sort of healthy spaces as a means of getting more people to feel positively and potentially to participate in their spaces. Right. But that is really problematic and difficult to do when people are so self-protective over what they are seeing now. I think there's some interesting stats here on, on the steps people are taking to control their news feeds, downrank certain posts, control what they are seeing in front of them. Um, so, you know, that's a really big question mark for newsrooms. How do you reach these people who are passively engaged with the news, but also very self-aware of what is toxic, what is negative, and will take steps to eliminate that from their news diet if they want to. Absolutely. I think to some extent, it may be that these different forms of, of sort of self-moderation may not necessarily be a bad thing. In fact, it may be a means of creating perceptions of a healthier environment when one feels like they have the ability to change what they're seeing. Whether that is always necessarily a benefit, you know, when it comes to ensuring that we have informed publics that are getting the information they need to, you know, make good political decisions in order to, you know, be involved in their communities is another kind of question. But I do think when it comes to this question of, of uh, you know, the perception of, of their online news environments uh, or just their online environments in general, it may be, may be that, that these opportunities actually might uh, make people feel slightly better or at least feel more control over, you know, what they're seeing and how they see it. Now, that's interesting because there was a, a publisher last year called Pink News that actually introduced a set of tools on their website for readers to be able to control what news stories they could see and turn off negative ones if they didn't like it. So is it, you know, a potential consideration to give readers really the tools to decide what they are seeing? And if that does boost their, you know, positive perceptions of the news, that could therefore result in a positive participation is that is that is that a stretch or is that fair i i honestly i don't know i think it's i think we are increasingly seeing i mean uh, there is no doubt that this this current and, and i think the future digital environment continues to be increasingly uh you know participatory perhaps not always in open ways as well as personalized and i think that there is something to that level of personalization that's particularly appealing to audiences broadly and especially to young audiences mm. so i mean i think that that from from that perspective i think that offering these tools of personalization can be very beneficial for the user experience yeah. and i think that that is kind of separate from the broader question of of sort of the civic sense of of what information you know these consumers need and and or at least what we think is for the public good is is important for them to to receive right and whether they're turning away from that mm. okay give us the top line to end with then kirsten you've put your blood sweat and tears into this research for the last i i, I dread to think how long for for any news editors journalists listening into this episode what's the what's the takeaway that you'd like to leave them with you know based on everything you've gleaned in your research what do they need to know here I think there are there are two kind of key pieces in this. I think the in some sense, I think all of our findings together, particularly when we think about things like participation, are indicating you know what I think we refer to at some points in our report as sort of a new normal. We see that publishers are increasingly navigating a really 
complex and sort of fragmented platform environment. We see that kind of influencing low levels of trust and engagement with news um, and where participation is, is less open and less representative than perhaps it was in the past. This raises really important questions about what engagement and participation mean in these online, but perhaps less openly participatory environments. Um, and so I think that we, uh, as a news industry, as researchers of the news industry, have uh, a lot of important kind of questions uh, moving forward about whether the nature of participation is just changing in general, uh, especially as we see you know, publishers move away from these forms of, of engagement and perhaps even platforms themselves, you know, downraking or limiting users' interactions with news. So I think there's a lot of changes in the environment that we continue to see uh, over time. And uh, it's really up to us to, to find ways to create environments that bring back in those who are increasingly wary of engaging online. Right. I sense from that maybe embrace the changes. Is that what you're kind of saying there? Perhaps. I certainly think that the tendency to, to kind of hope for uh, the traditional past to reemerge, might, we might be past that point at this, at this stage. Right. I've got you. Listen, Kirsten, many congratulations on the on the Reuters Digital News Report. Fascinating reading. Thanks so much for jumping on the show. It's been a real blast to speak to you. Thanks, Jacob, for having me. The Reuters Digital News Report continues to be an invaluable source of inspiration for digital strategies everywhere. And this is just one piece of the puzzle. I do encourage you to check out the full report if you haven't already, and our coverage of it on the website. The common refrain we hear is that a one-size-fits-all approach does not work in social spaces. How true that is here. It's more and more the case that news audiences participate differently, and therefore different tactics are needed to cater for those who do want to comment, who only want to like and share, and those who just want to read and move on. Let us know how your newsroom is acting on the insights of the research, and find me on Twitter at jpdjournalism, or email me on jacob at journalism.co.uk. Join us next week for a special chat with Jane Bradley, author of the recent New York Times piece highlighting a lack of Me Too accountability in the media and her core source, Lucy Siegel. Here's a sneak peek. The lesson it taught me was about the importance of like scrutinising your own industry and the devastating, you know, potentially devastating consequences it can have when you don't speak up. You can check out that episode plus all our others on all your usual podcast platforms by searching and subscribing to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. But that's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.